are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Look at your Bible now, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause also some of these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of a sound word which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Now keep that portion before you. Turn to Second Timothy 2.15, a verse you know so well. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Come down to the end of chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture, all Scripture is given inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. My dear friends, this is a Bible conference. I'm beginning intentionally with this message of this evening. This is a Bible conference. I hold in my hands the greatest book in all the world, the Bible. Now you think of that. Now we're careless about this matter. We're careless. We do not respect the word as we should. We do not, do not regard this greatness. This is the greatest book. You've got universities in the state of California where actually they have literally millions and millions of volumes in a single university. That's right. Check them. Millions of them. But here's a book that's above all of them. I mean greater than everyone. I stood outside the library a few days ago of Yale University. Inside of that library were literally millions of volumes of books, but here is the book of all books. This is the Word of God. This is God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. God's book to us. There's nothing like it in the world. Nothing like it. The Bible, God's Word. Now, the sad thing of this day is where I go, 75% of the people that I've talked to have not read the Bible through. Now, don't jump. Have you read all of it? I mean, every word in the Bible. Oh, they read most of it. You know, they read the Psalms, and they read the Gospels, and they read the book of the Acts, and maybe all of them do. But they skipped uh, Leviticus, and they skipped part of Numbers, and they skipped part of the Minor Prophets, and they skipped part of Isaiah. Read your Bible all the way through. Four chapters every day, read it from cover to cover in less than a year's time. Read the Bible all the way through. This is God's holy word. You're having a conference in these days uh, dedicated to the word of God, emphasizing the holy word of God, God's message unto all of us. Here's the book. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. All This is God inspired. Think of that. The heavenly father inspired. This is his book. The word of God. And here, my dear friend, is the answer for every question in the world. Donnie, who doesn't know it all, he thinks he does, but he doesn't. The answer is here. The Congress doesn't have the answer. The House and the Senate, they divide on everything, don't they? They are on different on every single issue, but here's the answer to every question. 
Mr. Reagan should recognize that. I believe he's saved. I've talked to Mr. Reagan personally. He said, I've been born again. I know Jesus has my Savior, and I rejoice in that. But also said, Mr. Reagan, I wish you'd go to church. Amen. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't go. Excuse me. Gives reasons, excuses why, but he doesn't go. I wish he did. And I wish he depended more upon the Word of God and would hold it more in his hand and shake it in the face of some of the unbelievers of this nation. Now, here's the Word of God, and the Bible gives the answer to every single question. The Bible answer. And this we've got to see. Now, tonight I want to make a very simple outline for you. Number one, the Bible has the answer on the way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He that believeth in me hath everlasting life. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But my dear friends, hold it. Here's your nice town, and all around you other cities. And this whole state of yours, packed and jammed with people everywhere. And you've got churches that deny the word of God and reject the word of God and turn away from Christ, the only Savior. Past churches today in your city, they believe you're going to be saved. You have to join their church. That's a lie. I've got other churches that, you hear, that believe you've got to be baptized with their baptism or you're not saved. That's a lie. Others believe that if you want to be saved, you have to perform a certain works to be saved. And if you don't work enough, you're lost. If you get saved and then you fail to work, you're lost the next day. Saved, lost, saved, and lost. That's a lie. Here's the word of God. He said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. And salvation, this message is given us in the holy word of God. Now watch it now. Not in man's writing, not in newspapers. Not in telecast, not in anything in the world, but in the Bible is revealed to us the word of God, the message of salvation. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord hath laid on him, on Christ the iniquity of us all. He died for us. And the heart of your Bible, in the words of 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins. That's it. Now we missed it. We're away from it. And we get embarrassed sometimes. Embarrassed in what we'd say. Praise God for the Word of God. These young men sat in the restaurant where I went in to get a hamburger a few moments ago. I don't guess they saw me, but I saw them. They left their tip on the table. They left with it a gospel tract, didn't you? Amen. I saw them pick it up. I saw the waitress turn over, uh, walk over and put it in her, in her pocketbook. Praise God. Praise God. They, they simply did the right thing. They were trying to get the message of Christ out to someone, and they did so. Now, that's what God has commissioned us to do. You see, the way of salvation. Now, the Bible has the answer. Not man, not your mother, not your grandmother, not your family, but the Bible has the answer. Many mothers, God bless their dear hearts, tell children, oh, be good, be good, behave yourself. That's not salvation. Salvation by the blood. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Jesus the Savior. But men are so ignorant. I'm preaching out in a church over near the East Coast. Beautiful town. And came to the end of the service and people getting saved. And many came forward. And I came to the end of the service. 
I said, I'd just like to see how many here tonight can say, I know that I'm a child of God. You know you're saved. Raise your hand. So they shot their hands up. Oh, I'm not speaking to you. Um, I'm glad you're responsive, though. I said, uh, raise your hand. They raised their hands. But look back in the back. There stood four ladies back there. Didn't raise their hands at all. I mean, beautifully dressed ladies. Nice, 45, 50 years of age. And uh, did, I, saw, I thought maybe they didn't understand. So I tried again. I said, if you have been saved, if you know you're saved and born again, would you raise your hand? And those uh, four ladies just stood there. I said, Pastor, Pastor, I have to sing a little bit more. I'm going back and speak to those ladies. He wasn't quite sure he should do it. He was a young man. When you're 76, you don't care. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm going to speak to him. So I walked on back there. And uh, one lady said, there, I said, ma'am, may I ask you? I said, you heard my message? I said, yes. I said, are you saved? Have you been born again? She said, sir, I'm a Presbyterian. My pastor is Dr. So-and-so, and I love him. I mean, have a great church. I said, ma'am, I didn't ask that. I said, have you been born again? Are you saved? She had no answer. I went to the next. She's an Episcopalian, same answer. I belong to a good church, good pastor. No answer. Next one, a Methodist. The last one was member of the First Baptist. And she was the same way. She, uh, she said, uh, I belong to a wonderful church, have a great pastor, but no evidence of knowing Christ at all. I said, lady, you heard my message. We can know we're saved. The Bible says we know. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. I know. And you can know it. But they didn't know anything. I said, uh, how'd you have to come tonight? They said some neighbors invited us to come. The neighbors knew their condition, invited them to come. They were there. And they heard the message of Christ. What happened later, I cannot tell. But they stood there, den uh, denying everything almost that I'd said in the message. Now, you see, that's around the nation. That's everywhere. And here's the Word of God. The Bible has the answer. And we've got to declare the answer, say it again and again, in clear, unmistakable terms so no man can miss it. The way of salvation found in Jesus Christ, the loving Savior. Hudson's right about the matter. You're saved when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You're saved. Not halfway, partially, but saved, completely saved. Then it's up to us to walk with the Lord and do what God says and to serve Him daily. But many, many do not know. I travel all of the time in these meetings. I'm retired. I preached in one church for 40 years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, never missed. I traveled on Monday and Tuesday. Then I retired. Decided to take it easy. So now I preach three and four times a day when I can find the places and have a good time. But I had a man to call me. kept on calling. And he said, I want you to come to my church. I said, no, sir, I can't make it. He kept on calling. I said, sir, I'll just tell you frankly why I'm not coming. I said, I'm a Baptist. And you're a Presbyterian. I've heard about your church, it's a big church. But I said, if I'd come, I'd preach what I believe, and I would offend you and your people, because I'm sure my preacher would not take in your place. He said, oh, he said, please don't, don't feel it. Won't you to come? You preach just like you preach in your church in Chattanooga in the same way. Don't you vary one bit, but please come and be with it. And he begged and begged until finally, after some weeks, I agreed to go. And I got in the town, he met me, took me out to church, church time. We stood in front of the building, beautiful, magnificent building, lovely place. He said, that's my church. 
He said, Paul, so many millions of dollars and paid for it. He said in the church, there are 37 millionaires. They're all generous men. He said, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. We don't know what to do with it. I said, I can handle that. <laughs> and he said, but we need revival. We're dead. We're hopeless. And we'll forget. We walked around the building, came to the back, started to a hallway, beautiful carpeted floors of your church. And walked down the hallway and came to the door. The pastor's name is on the door. By the door stood a man, nicely dressed fellow, beautifully dressed. Walked up and he bowed to me and I bowed back to him. Had no reason, just bowed anyway. It looked good. And uh, we stood there and then he opened the door and we walked inside. Got inside with the pastor's office, beautiful big office. And the man came in, walked over to the corner and there was a big long rack with about 10 or 15 robes hanging on that rack. He pulled off one and he said, Pastor, this is the one you wear tonight. And the pastor didn't say a word, just put it on. And the fellow tightened the thing up, fixed it just right. Lovely big robe, velvet sleeves and everything. And he said, yeah, you wear this tonight. And the pastor turned to me. He said, uh, Dr. Robertson, do you, uh, which robe would you like to wear? I said, sir, I don't wear robes. I said, I just wear double-breasted suits. And they said, I've worn the same one all my life. And uh, if you don't mind, I'll be able to wear it tonight. He said, well, in that case, I'll not wear my robe. And he took it off. We started down the hallway. He said, this is the first time in 25 years I've gone to my pulpit without a robe on. I wear a robe every time I go in the pulpit. But he said, I'm going in tonight without it. I said, you come in, it won't hurt you. I said, it may even help a little bit, you can't tell. And walked in the platform. I got up on the platform when it did. There were four people sitting in the choir, two men, two women. And uh, I said, Pastor, who are they? He said, that's the choir. I said, all four of them? He said, all four of them. He said, they can sing. He said, they are paid full-time salaries. They sing two songs Sunday morning, two Sunday night. That's all. And they're paid full-time salary. He said, this church got so much money, and they pay them, everything goes fine. And they say, he said, you'll hear them sing in a moment. And they sing. It was beautiful. Didn't understand a word they said, but it was beautiful anyway. And they hit the high notes, but they sang the song. When they finished their last song, they turned and walked out the side door. I said, Pastor, where are they going? He said, I have no idea. Well, I said, they leave it. He said, yes. He said, they leave after every, in every service after the second song. They've never heard me preach once in 15 years. He said, we pay them the salary. They've never stayed through a service yet. I'm giving like it was. Can you imagine a church like that? By that time, I was getting excited. <laughs> I put my notes away. I said, I'm ready. And I stood up to preach. And I turned loose and preached. I turned loose and let it go. I preached on salvation. I preached on heaven, on hell, on redemption to the blood. I said everything I wanted to say, and I said it with all the force that I could command. And gave an invitation. When I gave an invitation, big, big auditorium, a balcony coming all the way around, a horseshoe balcony. Gave an invitation before I even finished wording the invitation. They started down the aisle. I said, hold it. Don't you come unless you want to be saved. They kept on coming. They filled up all the seats across the front. We put some up in the choir loft. I went down to deal with man, one man. I said, sir, why have you come? He said, I want to be saved. He said, I belong to this church all of my life, but never have been saved. I want to know Jesus as my Savior. And as I dealt with him, the pastor came tapping on the shoulder. He said, Brother Ross, what do I do now? I said, get out and deal with these people one by one. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them how to be saved. He said, I don't know how. 
We took them back in the back. That night, I had the exquisite joy of leading 52 men and women to Christ in one single hour, 52 of them. I said 52 of them, 52, who stood to their feet to say, tonight we accept Jesus as Savior. All of them had been church members, but never saved. Wait a minute. If that happened in one place, it could happen in thousands of churches all over America. And the answer is in Christ. And that's the thing we're missing. Simplicity of message. Given with driving force and with energy and determination and backed by prayer, believing this truth that Christ is the only way. And I'm sure that when they come to this great church, they hear this from this, this pastor. Again and again. That's the way it ought to be. Repetition, repetition. Say it again. They've got to get it. And without hearing it, they're lost. They're condemned. They're bound for hell. And salvation is the answer. Now, there's the answer from the Word of God. The Bible has the answer. But secondly, the Bible has the answer on how to live the overcoming life. Number one, on salvation. Secondly, on how to live the overcoming life. Let's turn our Bibles back, please, to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is a victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you got it there? First John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. What's wrong? Thousands of Christians are saved, and I think they are saved, but they lack the victorious life. They don't have the victory. In America last year, 60,000 people committed suicide in one year. 60,000 people who did not have the victory. I know nothing about their church membership or professions. I'm just saying 60, but 60,000 defeated people. But among the defeated are many children of God who are saved, born again, and yet they're defeated because they have not done the thing that will bring victory to their hearts and lives. Now, God wants you to be a victorious Christian. He wants you to be something special for his glory. Not one of these beaten down, groupy, grumbling, complaining Christians who never seem to get hold of anything, who never do anything but just come to church once in a while, sit there, complain about the service, give a few pennies and walk out, and that's it. But a Christian who is sold out to God, victorious, and living as you heard tonight in the first message of Dr. Hudson. You see, that's what we want. Now, the answer is in the Bible. For example, this Bible will show us how to know the will of God. And you'll never be victorious unless you know God's will. God has a will for this young man, for this young man, for you, for you, a definite will for your life. Are you in his will? You say, I've never thought about it, never, never, never uh, considered that before. Then you better consider it. He has a will for your life. Not all are to be preachers or missionaries. Many will be mechanics and farmers and whatever you want to have. But you're to be in the will of God. God has a will for you, a definite will for your life. And he wants you to know it. And you can know it. And when you're submissive before him and bow and say, Lord, I want your will to be done, he'll reveal that will to you. He'll show. You see, he's the father. And the father wants his child to know his will. There's nothing to be hidden. He'll reveal his will if you let him have his way. 
But you see, your stubbornness and your own fleshly willfulness, self-willfulness, will keep you from knowing the will of God. Unless you bow down before him in utter simplicity of heart and mind and say, Lord, I want to know your will. Show me your will for my life, for my family, for my business, for my bank account, for everything. I want to know and do the will of God. But most folks don't do it. He'll let you know his will. My dear Christian friend, you can know the will of God. Riding on a plane going to Charlotte. And I was doing my studying on one side of the plane, my seat. had my Bible, some books, doing some writing. And a man on the other side sitting there, and all of a sudden he got up and left, came over and sat beside me. And he said, I judge you're studying the Word and by looking at you that you're a preacher. I said, yes, I am. He said, good. He said, I want to ask you something. He said, how can I know the will of God for my life? Well, I said, that's a good question. I said, I've got one or two to ask you. I said, number one, are you saved? Oh, yes, I'm saved. He said, I've been, I've been saved some time. My wife is a Christian. got two sons. They're Christian. We live in a certain city. named the city. And uh, I said, good. And you know you've been born again. He said, yes, I know it. And you want to know the will of God. He was a man about 45 years of age, I'd guess. And uh, I said, well, now I have a second question. I said, what is your business, your profession? What are you doing? What do you do if you like? He said, I'm a medical doctor. And I'm a surgeon. Now I said, sir, uh, your name? He gave the name. I'd recall the name. I'd heard it before. He's outstanding in his field. And then without any solicitation on my part at all, he said, I guess I can live 150 years on the money that I've saved and made in my profession. I've been highly paid all the way through. And he said, I've saved my money, but he said, I'm unhappy. I'm not in the will of God. I want to be in God's will. He said, please show me. How can I know the will of God? I began to talk. I talked about his submissiveness to God. I talked about the surrender of everything. I talked about dying to self, getting self out of the way. I talked about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And all of this can be real. And the will of God can mean so much to him. I kept on saying. And all of a sudden as I talked, he shot out of his hand. He grabbed mine. He said, thank you, sir. I think I see it now. And he said, I want to know his will, and I know he'll reveal his will to me, and I'll know the will of God for my life. I grabbed his hand and held it when he put it out to me, and uh, I don't know why I did it. I said, that's a marvelous thing. I said, doctor, you'll never be sorry. I said, you do the will of God. It'll change your life, change your family, change everything about you, but do his will. And I had his hand in my hand. I said, you know, this means so much. For example, I said, you're a great doctor. And God may want you to sell or get rid of your practice in this country and move to Africa and be a medical missionary, a missionary in, in Africa. Boy, when I said that, that man jerked his hand out of mine and raised both hands up and said, no. He said, I don't want that. I said, doctor, what do you mean? He said, no, sir. He said, I don't, want, don't mind doing the will of God, but I'm not going to be a medical missionary and leave this country. I said, I didn't say that you'd have to do it. I said, you had to be willing if God called you to do it. He said, no, I don't even want that. He said, I'm not willing at all. And then I said, Doc, you can't know the will of God. I'm sorry, but you're outside. You can't know it, and you're miserable, unhappy. Listen, we got to Charlotte, got off the plane, stood inside the airport. I told him again, had prayer with him, had prayer with him. 
and tried to help that doctor who had gone so far in his profession to see what I was saying. And after I finished it all, he walked down away from me with both hands in the air, shaking his head. It can't be done. can't be done. How pitiful. Are you doing the same thing? Are you dodging the call of God to some kind of service? You see, God may be calling you to be a Sunday school teacher. He may be calling you for some specialized work in your local church. I don't know, but you've got to say to your Lord, I want your will to be done. Now know his will. He has a will for your life. And out of this conference here for these days, there should be literally hundreds of you who bow before him and say, Father, I want your will to be done. At 18 years of age, I stood in the back of an old country church up in Kentucky near Louisville and heard the call of God to be a preacher. It scared me half to death. I was a country boy. I'd already finished my high school work and gone to Louisville Mill High School, Louisville, Kentucky. I was getting ready to start in the university. But it scared me. I walked down the front and said, Pastor, I know God has called me to preach. And he had. And I knew it. I couldn't get away from it. And he had me stand right in front of the pulpit. He said, while he stands here, if other young men feel called of God to preach, you come and stand with him. And while I stood there, eight of my good friends, good friends from high school, came and stood by my side. All nine of us said, God called us. Now, uh, the people came and shook hands with us. One man, I never have forgotten, Mr. W. Lucky, came and shook my hand, whispered in the ear. He said, young man, if God's called you, don't dare do anything else. He said, God called me, but I turned away from his call. I've never been a preacher, and I'm sorry. He said, I failed God, failed God. He said, go ahead. I went on. I never, never doubted my call one bit in all of these years. From 18, I'll soon be 77. I've never doubted that. By my side, sort of boy named Emmons. When he passed his 30th birthday, he walked down back of his house, took a, took a rifle, plenty of rifle, put up his head, and killed himself. By the other side of me stood a boy named Russell Miller. Lived right near me. He was standing there, 18 years of age. And he said, God has called me. But he never preached. He's now occupying a cell in the federal penitentiary, Atlanta, Georgia. He's 75 years old. The others are dead and gone. Now, wait a minute. What am I saying? I'm saying the call of God is serious business. And if God calls you, then don't turn away. Do just what God says. And obey him. Now, this matter of knowing his will for your life is important. Then, my friend, you ought to know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. And every child of God ought to say, yes, I want this. Wait a minute, when you got saved, he came in. Amen? He's there now. He's there. If you're saved, he's there now. Now, he wants to fill you, empower you. Control you, motivate you, dominate your life. The Holy Spirit. Now let him have his way. Let him guide you. Let him fill you. Let him possess you. Be empty of self. And be filled with the Spirit of God. And say, oh God, this I want for my life. Complete emptiness that I might be filled with his power. And he wants a third thing. He wants you to be dead to self. Your biggest enemy is yourself. Your biggest enemy is yourself. The self-life. Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. I spoke last night in Hot Springs, Arkansas. A young preacher came to me at the end of the service. He said, Brother Robertson, my battle is with myself. 
He said, I'm the worst in the world. He said, I'm always jealous of people, proud about certain things. And he said, I'll fight battles every day. And I said, son, you need to die. Wreck himself to be dead. And die daily, die daily. That God might take you and use you and bless you. And he wants to. Paul said that we're dead, we're dead to self and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Dead. Crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. Jesus said, Verily, verily, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You've got to die. Maybe you don't win many souls because you're not dead to self. You know why some people, some soul winners start out and win souls for a while, then quit? Self-life. They got the feelings hurt. They don't see success like they want to see it. And they turn away. Now you've got to say, Lord, I want to be dead to self. I want to be alive unto God. And you can live the victorious life, and God wants you to live it. He wants you to be a victorious Christian. For the glory of his name, let him have his way with you. But so many people are hindered and hampered by little things, little things that hinder them being their best for Christ. And you're not an overcomer because of little things, little things. Get them out of the way and say, oh God, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be dead to self. I want to be alive to the call of God, to the work of God. I want to serve God as he wants me to serve him. Let me give a simple illustration. There are thousands I could give out of all of these years, but... One little one. I finished preaching one Sunday morning in Chattanooga. Had a good service. Big invitation. Many people came forward. I went back and baptized converts. I like to baptize people. I mean, I like to baptize them. I did the baptizing. Did it for 40 years. And I like to baptize. They like to see them saved, vulnerable. I finished baptizing, came, changed clothes, came out of there. I started back to home living on Bailey Avenue then. And I got to the back door of the church auditorium. There stood one of the ladies of the church. I said, Miss so-and-so, I'm glad to see you. I said, didn't we have a great service? She said, didn't like any of it. I said, did you see all the people saved? She said, no, I didn't see one of them. I said, did you see me baptize the converts? No, I didn't see one. She said, I didn't see any of it. I didn't like it at all. I said, I'm mad. Well, I said, Miss so-and-so, why would you be mad? A Christian woman like you, and not young at all. I said, imagine being mad and missing the whole service and not getting a blessing out of all of it. I said, what in the world is wrong? She said, you know what's wrong. It's always funny. They think the preacher knows everything is wrong. I didn't know what was wrong with her. Now, I said, I know what's wrong. Well, she said, I'm plain mad. Well, I said, what in the world is wrong? She said, you know where I sit in the church? I said, yes. You always sit up to my left, up in the balcony. And uh, that's where you've been sitting for 20 years. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Always there. She said, that's right. This morning, I walked into my place as I've been doing for 20 years in that spot. And there said a man. I said, sir, you're sitting in my seat. You'll have to move. He said, ma'am, I got here first. I like it. I'm not moving. And she said, he would not move. She said, I told him, said, you've got to move. Brother Robertson looks up there and expects me to be there. And I'm not there. He's going to think something wrong. said, you've got to move. He said, ma'am, I'm not going to move. I like it here. I'm going to stay right where I am. She said, I had to move to the other side of the building. And I didn't hear a thing. I said, I didn't like the service. Didn't ha- I was unhappy. And said, I'm not going to. She said, unless you get my seat back for me, I'm going to quit the church. I'm not going to come to this church unless I can sit in that same place every service. I said, Miss Owens, ever heard me preach on dying to self? 
She said, yes, I've heard it. I said, when did you die? Well, she said, I don't, I never come to that place. I said, that's right, you're like most Christians. You've never come to the place of dying to self. Saying, oh God, take my life and use it. I want to get self out of the way. And I went over the scriptures again with her. I said them fast. I said, now we're going to pray. I want you to die to self today and say, Lord, you have your way with me. Whatever the cost may be, I give myself to thee. I reached over and put my hands on a little shoulder, a little thing. I prayed for her. I prayed that God would help her to understand what it meant to die to self, get self out of the way so she could live for God and serve God. See, a lot of folks just mess it all up with one thing, self. They get mad. Maybe they don't recognize them in the choir like they'd like to be. Huh? Maybe something's wrong. And I said, no, self's got to be out of the way. So I prayed, and she turned and walked out, never said a word. I thought, well, she's mad. She'll never come back. Sunday night, I got in the pulpit and looked around, and sure enough, looked up there where she'd been sitting. The place was empty. I said, just as I thought, she's mad, never coming back. Looked around the building. The old church, the old term, seated around 3,500. New building seats over 6,000, but the old building seat about 3,500. Way over to one side, on the balcony, there she sat. Sitting there, smiling. Had her hands folded in her lap and just enjoying the service to the fullest. I said, I believe she got it. I believe she got it. That was Sunday night. Wednesday night, I looked out. There she sat right in front of me, right in the center. And next Sunday, she's over on this side. She's there in every service now. Oh, what a blessing she gets. Wait a minute. That's a tiny little thing, but did you know that most of you fail on little things? The little things that destroy your life. And you fail to be what God wants you to be. You've got to die to self. Now, I put down two things for you, then one more than three. First of all, the Bible has the answer on salvation. The Bible has the answer on how to live the overcoming life. And number three, the Bible has the answer on what is the major work of God. What is it? Acts 1.8, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's the major work. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. That's the major work. Wait a minute. Every child of God will be a soul winner. And yet 95% of our people never try to win a soul to Christ. But every Christian ought to be a soul winner. Every one of us should be endeavoring to win people to the Savior night and day, constantly pointing people to the Lamb of God. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's what God wants of you. That's the major work of God. And here's the answer. Not in education, not in building buildings, not in reputation, not in some big worldly name that you might acquire, not in gaining a fortune in money, but the major thing is the winning of others to the Savior. And yet that's where we fail. That's where many people fail. They never try. They never do a thing. They never pray for people to be saved. They don't go after people. They don't witness to people. And they fail Yet this is the thing God wants you to do. And you can do it. You can do it. And God will bless you. I was preaching up in Springfield, Tennessee the other day. I thought of my experience up there in a little meeting I had on the edge of town. I got there one night, began my preaching, going to be with them for ten nights. And the second night, a little lady came down, and I'll bring two or three people with her, want to get saved. And I had the joy of talking to them, leading to the Lord. Next night she came again, came again, again. And I said, Pastor, who is that lady? He said, that's Miss A. by Burr. 
Miss A. by birth. Well, I said, man, what a soul winner. He said, yes, sir. He said, she works in the bank uptown. She's cashier in the First National. And then she goes out every afternoon, picks up people, brings them to church. Does the same thing on Sunday. She comes to church with people in the car. Every time, people who need to be saved. Well, I said, never saw a finer soul winner in my life. Oh, she won people to the Savior. Just coming and going. I said, marvelous, marvelous. What's she doing? And finished up the meeting. Many were saved. She led most of them to the Lord herself. I went on back home. I was home a few days, and the phone rang. And a voice said, Brother Robinson, we have news, sad news for you. Miss A. by Bird just dropped dead. I said, what happened? She was in the bank working and went over to sit down at her desk and uh, put her head down on her hands as though she had a headache. And they thought she was resting her eyes. They went over to her in a few moments and touched her. She was dead. And said, they want you to have part in the funeral. The family said, call and have part in the funeral. I said, I'll be there. Two days later, I went to the first Baptist church in Springfield. I went up on the platform, type name of Dr. Pettigrew. And he said, you read the scripture and pray and say what you want to, and then I'll give the message. And uh, so I did so. And I sat down. When he stood up, he said, before I give the message, I'd like to ask the ladies here in the front to stand, if they will. And a group of women stood up. He said, these women got together to say that they were led to Christ by Miss A. Biber individually, one by one. That's how they got together. So I began counting. I counted more than 50 women standing in that group in front of the church. 50 women, all women from that little mission church who had been led to Christ by that one lady, Miss A. by Bird. She wasn't a singer, didn't play an instrument. She wasn't a great teacher in the Sunday school, just an humble lady who worked in the bank, who went out to win souls and won to Christ every day. You heard Dr. Hudson talk about our church. I had one man in our church who led one year 275 people to Christ in one year and brought them all forward in the church. I have the names of all of them, 275. They follow the Lord in baptism. One man. One man. But, of course, he's got over on you. He's smarter than you are. He never finished the third grade in school. M.J. Parker. Snow white hair. Many of you know him. M.J. You remember? M.J. Parker. Never finished the third grade in school, and yet one soul Sunday after Sunday, year after year, until his death. And one year, 275 people he brought to the Savior. Oh, my dear friend, here's a major work of God. The Bible has the answer. This is it. You say, what can I do? Here's what God wants you to do. Now do it with all of your heart. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org.